Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down from Egypt. Then, Joseph, then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brothers and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? 
Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an office of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Um, when I was in elementary school, I um, was a part of a program that put on some, you know, elementary school versions of Broadway plays. And um, as, as you know, I'm not shy to be in front of people, so I was very excited about these Broadway uh, performances in our little elementary school. Um, and one of the plays that we did was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Has anybody seen that before? Okay, a few people have. Um, we, we did this, I wanted just the biggest part, I wanted the Joseph part, right? Um, but if you've ever had the privilege of sitting in front of me during worship, you know that I am not cut out to be the lead in a musical. Uh, I could not carry a, a tune in a bucket, and so uh, instead I was given the role of Dan. Uh, now Dan is not one of the most well-known brothers. He doesn't even get a full Daniel, you know, his name is just Dan. That's, that describes Dan pretty well. Um, and I was given one line in the musical, and I'll remember it for the, my entire life. Uh, we were doing a country-style western as we told our, our father that Joseph had been killed. I, I still remember the, the line dance that we learned there. And uh, I, I got to move forward and just say, shoot. <laughs> and that was my line. And, man, but I nailed it. Every performance. That was... That was what I did. Um, the hard thing with, that, with this passage is that I cannot think about Joseph without thinking about that rendition of it. And so as I do this, in my mind, Pharaoh is always going to be Elvis. Like, he is in the play, and so he's always going to be Elvis in my mind. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I have a hard time watching any type of, like, modern rendition of, like, Jesus or the Bible and whatnot. Uh, I, I've heard that The Chosen's great. I will probably watch it. But I've just had a hard time committing myself to watching it because I know that I've always think about Joseph the way that I think about that play. And I know that once I watch The Chosen, it's going to color the way that I view these stories that I love uh, from my childhood. But this story of Joseph, it's an amazing play. Uh, it's an amazing play. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story from the scriptures. And um, we're going to take the next six or seven weeks to walk through it. That's going to be the rest of the Genesis series. It's really just walking through Joseph. We get one brief detour next week with a very great passage of, of Judah and Tamar. Uh, so, you know, sign up to come to that one. Um, if you don't know that one, you can go read Genesis 38 and uh, get a little taste of what's happening uh, next week, and I'll explain it, hopefully, uh, next week. Don't ask me to explain it after church today, okay? I need to go study that for a little bit. But we're going to be doing uh, Joseph pretty much for the rest of this Genesis series. It'll take six or seven weeks. And this story, this part of the passage really sets the stage for everything that's going to happen through the rest of it. And what we see God doing in the Joseph story is this. This is the main point of the entire Joseph story, is that God works through ordinary means 
to bring about extraordinary purposes. God works through ordinary means to bring about extraordinary purposes. That's what we see through the Joseph story as we go all the way through here. Nowhere in this story is there a miracle. We see miracles often in the Bible, all over the Bible. There's miracles. God doing amazing things, rescuing his people through dramatic uh, turns of event. But everything in the Joseph story is pretty mundane. But for us as believers, we need to remember that God works just as much through the mundane as he does the dramatic. That God doesn't always need a miracle in the way that we think about it because he's orchestrating everything around us and he has a sovereign hand on all of life. So let's dive into this narrative. I'm going to do justice to it or attempt to do justice to it as we go through. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning. If you have your Bibles, you may follow along. Uh, In the land of Canaan. All right, so finally, Jacob is where he's supposed to be. And verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. As we've been going through this book of Genesis, what we've seen is that different sections of Genesis have been introduced by this introductory phrase, these are the generations of, it's called a toledote. Um, And the the purpose of this, there's 10 of them throughout the Genesis story, and they're just introducing a new phase of what's happening. And this one says it's the generations of Jacob, which is a little confusing because we just finished the Jacob narrative, and now we're jumping into the Joseph narrative. But just like it was with his father, it really kind of talks about what happens after that. So when we introduced the Jacob narrative, it said these are the generations of Isaac, and then we heard all about Jacob and Esau. And so these are the generations of Jacob, and it's all about his children and what happens after him. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Joseph is a shepherd boy, and he's 17 years old, and it specifies that he's just a boy. But in many places, this is considered a man. But Joseph is still a boy. He's very much a boy. He's his father's favorite boy. And the way that we're introduced to Joseph is that he is giving a bad report of his brothers. Now, this Hebrew word for bad report, what we know about this Hebrew word is that rarely does it mean that he was just coming to tell them the honest truth. It it usually means that what was happening was a bad report, meaning that it wasn't an accurate report of the, the things that happened. Instead, Joseph was lying on his brothers. At very best, Joseph is a tattletale. But at very worst, he's just a punk. He's just going to tell his dad lies on his brothers so that he can gain more favor from his father and so that his brothers might get in trouble. Anybody have siblings? Anybody got that sibling? You know which one I'm talking about? This is our first impression of Joseph. The author wants us to see this. He wants us to see that Joseph is not a likable person. Joseph is a tattletale. He's a spoiled little brat. That's what we're introduced to. So basically you could open Genesis 37 and say, now there was a boy named Joseph and he was a spoiled brat. It's almost how C.S. Lewis introduces Eunice in uh, Voyage of Dawn Treader when he said, there was, once a man named, there was once a boy named Eunice Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his, uh, of his sons because he was the son of his old age. 
Now, Jacob, come on. When we say Israel, same as Jacob, I'll use the names interchangeably. Come on, Jacob. You of all people, you know what favoritism does to a family. You were your mother's favorite, but your your brother was your father's favorite. And you saw that destroy your family. You were on the run for 20 years because of this favoritism. And here you are repeating the sins of your father again. You see, in the Joseph story, we see many of the themes that we've already learned in Genesis being played out again. And here we have favoritism right here once one more time. If you remember last week, uh, Jacob's beloved wife, his, his favorite wife, Rachel, she died just a few verses ago. And so it's likely that Jacob has moved his emotional center from being Rachel is my everything to Joseph, this child that represents Rachel and my love for her is my everything. And so he's made jo- Joseph this idol in his life. And he has made Joseph just the favorite of favorites and has has doted on him, and he made him a robe of many colors. This robe probably signified that he was going to receive the double portion. This robe probably signified that he was the chosen son, that he would be the one that would be inheriting the the favored uh, promise. Jacob was not trying to keep his favoritism any kind of secret. I know a lot of parents, and one of my friend's favorite questions um, and this friend is a pastor friend that some of you may know, but he'll, he'll just say like, hey, which one's your favorite? When, when he's talking to parents. Like, oh, you have more, more, which one's your favorite? And he's just kidding, but then he's like also kind of serious. He's like, no, but really, what, you have a favorite? And, but that's not something as parents that we make public if there is a favorite, okay? But Jacob does not care. He has made his favoritism shown. He's given his favorite a royal robe, a robe of many colors, and this robe is is beautiful, and so all of his brothers see it, and his brothers hate him for it. They hate Jacob's favoritism. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. They couldn't even speak peacefully to the man. Every time he walked around, they're like, oh, this guy, this guy again. They did not like Joseph at all. They couldn't even talk to him. They couldn't stand the guy. But then what we see happen in the text is that their hatred actually grows. Not just once, but twice. You know, Hebrew literature is pretty sparse. It doesn't give you all the details unless you really need it. And here it says three times that their hatred grew even more. Verse 4, verse 5, and verse 8. Their hatred grew even more. Now, how could you make their hatred grow more? He's already a tattletale. What is he doing to make their hatred grow even more? Well, he gets these dreams. And uh, they're these magnificent dreams, and he decides to share them. So verse 6, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, check this out. Remember that? Behold, check this out. We were binding sheaves in the field, and check this out. The sheaf arose and stood upright. My sheaf did. And, and look at this. Your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. Now, it doesn't take a degree in dream interpretation to understand what is happening here. Joseph is saying, look, I had a dream that I'm going to be great and you all are going to bow down to me. Well, his brothers didn't like that very much. They said, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now, Joseph, he should have gotten ahead at this point. 
all right? But, but he's kind of like LeBron James in 2010, all right? LeBron, greatest player there was at that time, one of the greatest of all time, but he goes on TV to, to make the decision uh, where he was deciding where to continue his career. And it almost wrecked him. He was very disliked for several years because he went on, some of you might be too young to remember this, he went on TV to announce that he's taking his talents to South Beach uh, to, to play for the Miami Heat. And people just hated it. It was an hour-long special. He just made a big deal about himself. And Joseph is making a big deal about himself, and he's not being liked. But here, here he loses all kind. You know, LeBron learned his lesson. He did that once. He didn't do it the next time. Joseph, he does not learn his lesson because he gets another dream, and he immediately goes and tells his family about his other dream. This time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are bowing down to Joseph. It's not just his brothers bowing down to him, but it's his father and his mother too. Joseph, are you a sociopath? Like, do you lack all ability to read the room? Are you unable to see how other people are perceiving you? Joseph, he might be the favored son, but he's certainly not the sharpest crayon in the box because no one takes this well. Even his father rebukes him. The one who, he, his father loves him. He's his favorite, but his father even rebukes him. Jacob is at best socially unaware. At worst, he's just a bad person. I mean, what kind of person does this? He is selfish, he is arrogant, he is insensitive, and he is spoiled. That is the character that we have here in Joseph, and this is the character that God is going to use to rescue all the people of Israel as we continue through. But here's the thing about these dreams. Joseph got these dreams, and he was sharing them with his brothers, and we'd like to think, ah, nothing to those. You're, you're just a, a punk. But they were actually dreams from God. This was God's plan to fulfill these dreams. And although the but, but the way that they came about was far different than what Joseph expects. So here's what happens. Joseph's brothers are off pasturing the flock near Shechem. We remember Shechem because uh, Jacob and his sons lived there for about 10 years um, previously. And it's about 50 miles away. Now, 50 miles in ancient times, that's a five-day journey. So Jacob's getting a, a little concerned, so he sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. And when he gets where he's going, he doesn't see them. So he gets all the way to, to the land of Shechem. He doesn't see him. And Jacob's just walking through a field somewhere. And he, he runs into a man also wandering through the field. And, he, and the man's like, hey, what are you looking for? And he said, hey, I'm looking for my brothers. They're, they're with a bunch of sheep. And I'm, I'm trying to bring news for my father to make sure they're okay. And, and this guy says, you know what? I saw these guys. And I heard that they were going to Dothan. Now, Dothan is 15 miles farther than Shechem. So they're, they're really remote area. Dothan is rural. There's nothing out there. And so Joseph goes the 15 miles to, to Dothan. It's another day's journey at least, if not two. And as he's walking up, his brothers see him. They recognize that pretentious walk. I don't know how he walks, but he's probably got a, a, a nice pretentious, I'm better than you kind of walk. And we've all, we're all familiar with that walk. And they see him coming. And they say to one another, verse 19, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. His brothers have evil intentions. 
but they're ready to silence them, get rid of them. Now Reuben is the oldest of the sons of, of Jacob. Reuben is the type of son that you could leave home and he'd eat his vegetables all week long. You wouldn't have to worry about him at all. He's a responsible one. So, so Reuben speaks up. He's like, hey, 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 look, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Okay, just throw him in the pit and we'll tell dad we, that, he, that he died. Okay, but Reuben had full intention to come back and to rescue Joseph because he is the first child and that's what first children tend to do. Joseph shows up and that's what they do. Immediately they strip him of his robe and they throw him into the pit. This is like a well, and, but there's no water in it. And the word throw here is strong. It, it basically means leave for dead. It's not a gentle throw. Um, and you can just imagine what Joseph's doing this whole time. You know, he's probably, he's probably saying, real funny guys, come on, let me out of, let me out of here. He's, he's right there and they throw him into the pit and what does it say that his brothers did I find this just to be one hilarious but two just cold blooded his brothers just sit down and they have lunch right next to the pit it's like they enjoy hearing him screaming he's like hey guys let me out of here come on let me out and they're like oh we're, we're just gonna have some food we're just gonna chill right here this is like some Sopranos type of stuff okay and while they're sitting there they see these Ishmaelites walking by and Judah has a great idea he says look what does it benefit us if we kill him? We can get rid of him another way, and we actually make a little bit of profit. So instead of killing him, why don't we sell him to these guys? Then we get two birds with one stone. We get rid of him, and we make a little bit of money. At this point, Reuben's gone off to do something else. And so the brothers like Judah's plan. And so they pull, they pull uh, Joseph out of the pit, and they don't sell him to the Ishmaelites, but they sell him to a few Midianites as they walk by. And later on, we find that the Midianites carry Joseph all the way to Egypt, which is a long way away. And the people of, uh, and the brothers of Joseph are probably like, well, there goes that guy. <laughs> We're glad to be rid of him. But they can't just ignore, they can't just go home and tell dad that they sold Joseph to a bunch of Midianites. So they take his robe that they stripped off of him and they dip it in animal's blood and they bring it to their father and they say, look, a wild animal got him. And when, when Jacob gets the news, he mourns and he wails, he he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth. Everyone's trying to comfort him, but he refuses to receive the comfort. He's just devastated. And this passage ends with a little teaser for, for in a couple of weeks when it says, when the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So church, what are we to make of this story? How are we to apply this to our own lives? How are we to, to view it? Joseph has these great dreams, and he thinks that God has a great plan for his life, but the next thing he knows, his brothers have stripped him of his robe and thrown him in a deep pit and sold him. And he's been sold twice, not just to the Midianites, but to the Potiphar in Egypt. It doesn't appear as these dreams are going to come true. But God does, in fact, have a plan. In fact, unless everything happens exactly like this, God's plan cannot come to fruition. You see, if God had not given Joseph those dreams, then Joseph wouldn't have been able to share them with his brothers. Their hate would not have grown. If Joseph had not been sent to find his brothers and run into a random man in Shechem who said, oh yeah, I overheard your brothers. He had to run into that guy to push him there, to push him to go to Dothan. If he had not gone to Dothan and his brothers had not plotted to kill him, if Reuben had not interjected, if Judah had not interjected, if they had not sold him to the Midianites who had not sold him to Potiphar in Egypt, 
then the entire family of God probably would have starved during the famine. You see, it was through all of these ordinary circumstances that God used to move Joseph to where he needed Joseph to be. God needed Joseph to be in Egypt. Maybe you don't know why God needs you in Boston or in Somerville right now, but God has a purpose for the things that he does in our lives. There are not any active miracles in this story, but God is at work. He's orchestrating everything from the prideful boasting all the way to the random guy in the field giving him directions. It's all God's plan. And it's helpful to remember this, church, that just because we don't know what God is doing, it does not, know, does not mean that he doesn't know what he is doing. Just because we don't know what God is doing does not mean that he does not know what God is doing. When you're in a trial or you're in a time when it's difficult, you can say, I don't know what God is doing, but I do know what God is doing. I might not know exactly what he's doing right now, but I do know that he is bringing his plan to fruition in my life. That I know that he's not going to leave me, that he's not going to forsake me, and that for those who call on Christ, he's going to be, he has this plan to grow my faith and to help me to trust in him more and more. So I don't know what God is doing, but I do know what he's doing. We can hold those together. There's actually a story in the Bible that illustrates this quite well and what's going on with Joseph. Uh, Joseph, uh, this thing takes place in the land of Dothan. And in your Bibles, in the book of 2 Kings, which is not the most widely read book of the Bible, it has another story about something that happens in Dothan that illustrates what's happening in Joseph's life quite well. Because in 2 Kings, we find the prophet Elisha surrounded by a Syrian army. And the servant cries out and asks for help. And he's given this vision of what's happening behind the scenes. You see, God is a God behind the scenes. And he asks to see it. Hear, hear the word of the Lord from 2 Kings chapter 6. When, this happened in the same place where Joseph was sold. It's, it's kind of like what was happening behind the scenes for Joseph. When the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, God was active in a way that they couldn't see. And in your life, God is active in the same kind of way because he loves you dearly as a child. There's an invisible world that we're not able to see, but yet God is always active. Not only is God using all of these terrible circumstances to put Joseph in the right location to save his entire family, he's using all of these terrible circumstances to develop the right character in Joseph that would otherwise never be developed. When you look at Joseph, you are supposed to see him as a spoiled brat in, in this first chapter, in chapter 37. But when you get to chapter 45, 46, you see a man who is shrewd, who is wise, and who has matured greatly. How do you mature? But you have to go through hardship. Now, you might say, isn't there an easier way? Couldn't God just send an angel down and tell him, look, Joseph, I got a big plan for you. I need you to not be a spoiled brat. I need you to grow up because I've got a lot of stuff that I want to accomplish with you. 
And, you know, he, he pretty much did that, right? He gave him these dreams. And how did he receive these dreams? Well, he was just received them as a spoiled brat would receive them. It's just not the way it works. You don't grow through being told anything. You only grow through your own experience. We have to experience the hardships of life so that our character can be developed. That's why James tells us, consider it pure joy when we go through sufferings in this life. Because it's through the sufferings that we are developed into a better person. Our character is shaped into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 5 says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's through our sufferings that God develops in us the character required for what God requires of us, and that is what's happening with Joseph. So this Joseph story, it shows us that God is working. Even when it feels like he's not working, it shows us that our suffering produces character. But most importantly, this story points us to the ultimate pattern of salvation. This story points us to the ultimate pattern of salvation. God's pattern of salvation is to use weakness and rejection to bring about the salvation of his people. God's pattern is to use weakness and rejection to bring about the salvation of God's people. Just as Joseph was rejected by his own family, Jesus, the greater Joseph, was rejected by those who he came to save. He was spat upon and mocked. He, was, he really was the king sent to save them, but instead they mocked him and made a sign on his throne, which was a wooden cross, that said, King of the Jews. They put a crown on his head, but it was a crown of thorns. They put a cape on him, but it was not a cape of honor. It was a cape of mockery. Their hatred grew and grew for Jesus, though he hated them not. Just as Joseph was stripped of his clothing and left for dead, Jesus, the greater Joseph, was stripped of his clothing and crucified. Just as Joseph was sold for a few meager pieces of silver by one of his own brothers, Jesus also was sold for a few meager pieces of silver by one of his closest followers. Everything in this story clearly foreshadows Jesus. This is a hinge story that encapsulates many of the things that we've learned already in Genesis this family favoritism we've seen, the fact that no one's a good person, we see that throughout here. But it also points us forward to Christ and shows us that God's plan for salvation comes through weakness and rejection. Jesus had to undergo rejection so that we might be saved from our desperate, sinful state. It was God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross. And though it looked as though he died, and he did die, on the third day he rose again. From the dead. Right now, Jacob, he's mourning and wailing because he believes his son is lost forever, but he will receive his son back again through what will feel like a resurrection to him. It was God's plan for Joseph to be sent this direction, and it was God's plan for Jesus. The story of Joseph is meant to show us the story of Jesus, that God saves his people despite their sin, despite their shame, despite their rejection of him, despite their rejection of the Savior that he sends, he has sent him to save us. You see, Joseph might be Jacob's favorite, but God didn't just want to save Joseph. God had a heart for all of Joseph's brothers. 
And though the brothers, they're not great people either. They're off there killing Joseph. But God's heart was to save them through their rejection and through our rejection of Christ and sending him to the cross, we receive the salvation that none of us deserve. God desires us to be saved through Christ's rejection. He was resurrected for us. He was rejected for us. He was resurrected for us. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. And because of his work, we get to live for free. So though we may reject him, as Joseph's brothers have rejected him, they, will, they one day will receive life through the resurrected Joseph in the same way that we receive life through the resurrected Christ. If you have never received this message personally for yourself this week, or ever, I would invite you to receive it this week. To own this message of Christ for yourself. To see what he has done for you, and how he has loved you and cared for you. We do a meal every week to remind ourselves of the sacred um, thing that God has done, this gospel. And Jesus initiated this meal on the night that he was betrayed. And he took a loaf of bread and he tore it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a coat and he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so each week we receive a communion meal to be reminded that God's, that Jesus' body is broken for us, that his blood is shed for us. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. We pray that our hearts will be warmed by what you've done for us. Father, we pray over this meal that anyone who is coming to receive it would evaluate their own hearts and receive you as Lord and Savior. And if they are not um, worshiping you only, that they would uh, take a step back and, and notice that this isn't for them and that they need to receive you. And so, God, we pray for anyone here who hasn't understood what your salvation is all about, that you have done all the work for us, that we're like the brothers who have rejected you. We're not like Joseph, but we're like the brothers who have rejected you. And you've sent a Savior to rescue us. And so help us to place our hope in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.